either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry. You wish I was Slowly but surely, so we're getting more released in theaters. Hopefully that trend continues. But we've got a big one for home streaming this week as well, and a few others. Welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we're from MadWolf.com, and of course, we're going to start on HBO Max with the extended mix of Justice League. It's the Snyder Cut. I think there's an attack coming. My lord, this world will fall. I need warriors. I'm building an alliance to defend ourselves. How do you know your team's strong enough? If you can't bring down the charging bull, then don't wave the red cape at it. They said the age of heroes would never come again. It will. It has to. Four hours. <laughs> Four hours. That's a disco mix. That is a disco but, mix. Uh, just the existence of this movie is fascinating to me because it's only here because of how much the first one sucked. Right. And if it hadn't have sucked so bad, there wouldn't have been an outcry for this cut. And he wouldn't have, uh, Zack Snyder wouldn't have been given the free reign to do four hours and to get, I don't know, 70 some odd million dollars more right. to go back in and recut and re edit and reshoot. So that's fascinating to me. But the end result is we've got the Snyder cut and um, it's better. It is better. It's a lot better, uh, starting with the fact that it's one director's vision. Now, love or hate Zack Snyder, and I know he's got people in both camps. If you're going to hire him, you hire him, let him do his thing, right? And, of course, part of the, the last time of bringing in Joss Whedon, part of that was due to tragedy with the suicide of Zack Snyder's daughter, which is awful. There was, depending on what you read and what you believe, a lot of other things involved, too. There was the studio politicking. There were, they wanted to apparently replicate some of that Joss Whedon uh, Marvel magic and all sorts of stuff going on behind the scenes. But whatever actually happened, you got just one big compromise. That's what the whole film felt like. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, you know, Joss Whedon, like him or don't, uh, he certainly has made some well-made films and in this genre, but everything about this movie felt incompetently handled, yeah. which you didn't expect from either director, incompetently handled. The CGI is embarrassing, embarrassing. in this movie, but the whole look, it's its its not brooding and dark, it's muddy, it's hard to see. Yeah. It's, it's everything about the original uh, Justice League yeah. was just incompetent. So that's the first better aspect we have here. We get a full director's vision. And starting with, let's, the, the second better thing in this version is oh, the, the CGI. CGI. It's night and day. I mean, starting with the look of Steppenwolf, so much better. Now he's got those armored scales. Uh, the look of Atlantis underwater. Oh. That was terrible last time. It's so Just much terrible. better. It's so, so much better. So much better. The and, mustache. And, of course, the mustache is gone. <laughs> All that crazy, distracting uh, mustache removal on uh, Superman. On Superman last time. That's all gone. So all that positive, positive. And you've got when you've got four hours to work with, you're going to get more of the good 
of Zack Snyder, and you're going to get more of the bad. You know, and, and part of what you have to give him is credit for developing characters that were really underdeveloped last time. Now, it is almost impossible to have a superhero film that has this many characters, this many heroes, or this many villains, mm-hmm. and have it not feel like some of them are slighted. But it, but it, it really is nice to see Cyborg and The Flash flesh out here. Oh, yes, very much. And the story basically is the same. You know, Steppenwolf is trying to collect these mother boxes and unite them and then lay waste to the world and claim another world for his master, Darkseid. Now, that's someone we didn't see in the first one. Well, we do here. Um, so that's one of the the new characters that, that uh, get introduced in this extended cut. But you're right. Fleshing out of characters we do know, especially Flash, especially Cyborg. And Cyborg, I'll tell you, he really becomes, you could make a case that Cyborg is the heart of this movie, yeah. really. Yeah. Really get a nice a nice backstory, a nice fleshing out of his character, and the Flash as well, but even even more so with Cyborg. So that's good. And you just get a better, the, the storytelling here, it's broken up into chapters, uh, with six chapters with an epilogue. <laughs> and uh, so it, it feels more like a cohesive story, the, even though there there are certainly are areas where it bogs down, and you get those Zack Snyder mini music videos. Ugh. I don't know how many they are, some of them. They're, they're full-length I, music videos yeah, in I, some cases. That is That gets tiresome, but you do get some areas there where it bogs down. But overall, I, I personally didn't feel like it felt like four hours. And you know what's a funny thing is that I feel like this is the perfect possible time for this to come out because... We have been, we've, you know, for the last year, we are so trained now to to binge yeah. four hours at a time. And, and, it's, and it's broken into chapters, so you really can pause it and go to the bathroom or clean exactly. your house or come back tomorrow or whatever. That's exactly right. One, you of know, the, one of the guys on the morning show I was talking to called in this morning said that exact thing. Oh, he said, is there, can you, can you tell when the chapters are broken? I go, yeah, there are chapter cards. He's like, perfect. Yeah, it's a funny idea that an epic like this, you, you'd think that you would lament the fact that you're not going to go see it in the theaters. And, you know, and it's not the only, you know, Return of the King was four hours long, fully four hours long, and mm-hmm. people went. It made a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Endgame wasn't much shorter than this, and people went. I mean, it's it's not like four hours is insurmountable yeah. in a theater, but the fact is, if you can watch it at home, it's, it's just easier on you. It really seems like this is the perfect time for this movie. Yeah, I agree with that. I also think that even though it didn't feel like four hours to me, it probably didn't have to be four hours. I think some things could have been cut here. Yeah, the music videos. (laughs) But then other parts of the story that deserved extra time to resonate, specifically Superman's death, which is in the very beginning, because that's sort of what ended the, uh, the, the, the first one, the Batman v Superman, and then his rebirth, those are given a lot more time to resonate yeah. and to really feel important to the story because they are. So those things are positive. Explain to me the aspect ratio thing. Okay, that's come up a lot. And, and it's funny because I didn't really really realize it because we lucked out. We Apparently, from what I read, we were watching it on the best screen that you can watch <laughs> it on because the aspect ratio is 4-3, which is very boxy. Now, some people with some screens at home, they're not liking that. There's too much black on the side. It's not filling up the screen. This is because he fell it. Well, I think while filming either Batman v Superman or the first Justice League, he fell in love with an IMAX format, mm-hmm. wanted to fill, fill up an IMAX screen. And so that's what this, I guess, is intended for. Now, if you watch it on an iPad Pro, perfect. it fills up the entire screen. Right. <laughs> so I didn't see a problem. 
but uh, we've seen some people on social media uh, upset about it, but apparently that is why. Other things that come to mind, and I know you agree with me, Henry Cavill is the best Superman. He is. He just is. Agreed. I don't under- yeah, he's, he's a fantastic Superman. Um, ben Affleck is totally fine for this version of Batman. Exactly. I talked about this. We talked about this earlier. Before before the whole Batman versus Superman came out, my friend Demetrius, who is a, a comic book person, came in and just sat down on the chair and said, I'm going to explain to you why Ben Affleck is perfect for this story arc. And mm-hmm. I was like, please do, because I have no idea. <laughs> and and he's right. It's because this particular story arc, he's he makes a great this version of Batman. You know, also, I love Jeremy Irons' Alfred. He's no a, matter what. He's a great Alfred. Just the sentence, I love Jeremy Irons. And uh, Gal Gadot is a wonderful Wonder Woman. Hey, you like that? Uh, and also, <laughs> this, there, another nice thing about this is, she gets her badass moments, but gone are the overly leering camera angles I thought were present in the first Justice League. Yeah, I mean, she still flips her hair, but as you point out, he Everybody has people does. flip their hair. Jason I mean, Momoa. Jason Momoa flips his hair. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. you know he does a lot of slow-mo, as yes, Zack Snyder does, so that's, that's going to come into play. But I thought there was a noticeable difference of those sorts of camera angles, so, so that was good. Also, we're not big comic book people, but I think not only are the, the, the people who... We're demanding this cut, I think, going to be happy. I also think it does a pretty good service to the real comic book fans, especially in the epilogue, and that's all I'm going to say. Right. The epilogue itself is a half an hour. You, you, <laughs> you get to the end three and a half hours in, here's the epilogue. And by the way, there's not any stingers or anything after the epilogue is over. But I think that, especially the comic book people, will really be happy with that one. So... All in all, there's there's a lot to be happy about. It's certainly not perfect, as we said. It does bog down. It does have more of the ticks of Zack Snyder that we're not wild about. There are daddy issues everywhere. I mean, so many superhero movies have daddy issues. This may be the mother load of daddy issues. But is it an improvement? Oh, yes. It is a huge improvement. And you know what? If you if you just turn all the slow-mos to regular speed, it's only about an hour and a half long. <laughs> Touche! <laughs> And that is on HBO Max. Uh, Watch it all in one sitting or do the chapters. Up to you. Uh, The Zack Snyder extended mix of Justice League. Let's go next to a theater release this week. Cold War spy Greville Wynn and his Russian source try to put an end to the Cuban Missile Crisis. It's the Courier. Will I be putting myself in danger? If this mission was the least bit dangerous, you really are the last man we'd send. Make sure you wear it while you're in Moscow. What does this do? Shoot poison darts? Everyone you meet, assume their KGB. Every Russian is an eye of the state. You'll just be a courier. Just a courier for Russian sea. From now on, you will be selling one thing. The idea that you are an ordinary businessman and nothing more than an ordinary businessman. This is one of those stories where you wonder if something just got declassified because yeah. because this is a story we should have heard it's before. It's crazy. It is so good. It is so good. And uh, and Benedict Cumberbatch stars as Greville Wynn, who is just a salesman. That's what he is. He's not a spy. He is a salesman. And he's recruited to become a spy because he's so convincing as what he is for a living <laughs> that they don't think the Russians will, you know, will eyeball him. Um, and they think that if they send anybody else in, an actual spy in, that they'll get they'll get made right away. And it works pretty well. He goes in and, you know, and, and Benedict Cumberbatch is just always good. He's really solid. And, he, you know, he's got such range. He can play really any kind of character. He's got this guy nailed. You know, he's got sort of the, the bravado and the bluster as well as the insecurity and the vanity. Mm-hmm. He's very likable. 
And Marab Nanidzi runs away with this movie as the Russian counterpart. Oleg. Oleg, he's he's just wonderful. And he's so, he has so much warmth, which is what this film needs. It's very, very British. Um, and <laughs> essentially, the two of them, you know, according to the film, they are integral in helping us get through the Cuban Missile Crisis. The problem with the film is that I, I feel like they can't decide whether it's an espionage thriller Right. And it doesn't have the sort of pop and excitement to, to pull that off or whether it's really about um, the sort of traumatic and more emotional elements, which I think is what they were trying to go toward. But it simply lacks the warmth and drama for that. So it's not it's a bad movie. It's not a bad movie at all. It's very solid. But that's probably the best you'll say about it. It's very solid. Yeah, well, the director is Dominic Cook, who's had a lot of experience on the stage. Yes. And that he did that other I think his debut was Chesil Beach, yep. which we saw. We actually saw that at the Cleveland Film Festival. We did. It was fine, mm-hmm. but, but sort of like this, reserved, very detached. And in a way that did not suit the source material. Chesil Beach is really about passion, and it's a dispassionate film. Totally. And so I think that this suffers in a way from the same arm's length it just can't choose a tone and go with it. Mm-hmm. But it is a fascinating story. And if you're interested in these historical dramas at all, uh, it brings the goods for that. Because some of the things that, that uh, happened around this normal Joe Schmo uh, definitely worth getting to know for sure. And that, was in, that one is in theaters this weekend called The Courier. Next is another one based on true events and out in theaters this weekend. Russell Poole and Jack Jackson investigate the murders of rappers Notorious B.I.G. and Tupac Shakur. It's City of Lies. 20 years ago, you were the lead detective on the Piggy Smoke case, right? Some suspect the shooting of the Notorious B.I.G. is retaliation for last year's murder of Tupac Shakur. Piggy didn't have Tupac killed. Some evidence stays locked away in the dark. Who shot B. Smokes? It's a riddle. This is another one that's based on, you know, potentially true, right? It's based on a book written by the detective, and it's his theory about what happened. Yeah, the uh, Russell Poole, it was the uh, L.A detective on the case now the movie's writer is randall sullivan and that he's he's the one who wrote the nonfiction book now the the character he's he's sort of a character in the movie um it's a composite though really because johnny depp plays a uh, pool the detective but forrest whitaker plays jack jackson the the reporter so that's that's a you've got a real character and a fictional character but uh, as you would think depp and whitaker are great together. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an early distrust, and then they learn to work together. But the big thing about this movie is it has a very clear agenda. And it's not going to apologize for that. That's what the book was. That's what the movie is. This is this is Poole's theory exactly. about what happened. He's he presenting his case. A very complicated theory about the LAPD having being in on a murder conspiracy that resulted in the deaths of not just Christopher Wallace, Notorious B.I.G., but Tupac as well. And it's pretty involved, and it's to this movie's credit. The director is Brad Furman, who did The Infiltrator and The Lincoln Lawyer. Those are, I think, the two biggest on his resume. But the writer is a first-time screenplay writer, Christian Contreras, and I think the two of them together do a good job of breaking down all the complicated aspects and threads of Poole's 
conspiracy theory and putting them back together in a way that we can understand. They find various ways to organically inform us about things that we have to be told to, uh, to follow along with this and to make it really resemble a, a fictional thriller. As instead of a retelling of a, of real life events, so and there's a lot to enjoy about this. I do think it becomes a little too JFK at times, right. especially when I really don't understand. Late in the movie, just out of nowhere, Furman goes to some slow mo grainy footage, exactly like JFK. Right. I'm like, wow, we're already thinking this is like JFK. I thought that was a really curious um, curious thing to implement but but overall it's well acted I will say that it has shifting timelines which again are handled pretty well that can get uh, muddy sometimes but the only thing about it is the makeup that's required and the wigs required to make people look at different ages yeah that's a little uh, yeah. th- that could use some work yeah Shea Wiggum but, yeah Shea Wiggum's wig is not good I know that's picking some nits there the main thing is it tells this story. It presents this agenda in a pretty thrilling and intriguing fashion. It's not really interested in rebuttals, but then why, why would it be? That's not why the book was written. That's not why the movie's being made. So uh, whether or not you believe it, the main thing is how well does it present its case and tell its story? And I think it tells it pretty well. And that's City of Lies in theaters uh, starting this weekend. This next one is interesting. It's the story of a controversial artist blazing a trail for other gay image makers in New York's 1980s scene, only to perish at the end of the decade from the AIDS virus. This is called Voynerovich. David Voynerovich is more valuable than every one of these preachers that ever lived. Voynerovich? Voynerovich. Voynerovich. You. David, that's so offensive. Do we have to call it that? To the barricades! And the first thing we should do is probably spell the title in case you're looking it up. It's W-O-J-N-A-R-O-W-I-C-Z. Voynerovich, and that was his name, and that's a tough one to spell. It is, yeah, <laughs> yeah, David Voynerovich. And it's actually, we should probably warn you, it has a subtitle that we really can't say. Um, it works better in print than it does out loud. Um, and it's actually, the subtitle is uh, is provocative as he was, and it's the name of one of his uh, most famous pieces. Um, and the film is absolutely remarkable, partly because Wojnarowicz was a, a multimedia artist, and so he, he just kept loads and loads and loads of audio cassette narr- narrations. He just spoke and recorded it, and that is almost entirely what the filmmakers use as the backdrop and sort of the narrative thread of this. So... It's fascinating. And often he's just explaining what's going on. But there are other times where he really I mean, he is he's just looking at something and the way he sort of depicts it orally is is really poetic, poignant, melancholy, lovely, terrifying. I mean, all at once. And so it, it makes for the perfect soundtrack for this film. But even even better, because there are other voices that you hear, some of his friends, some of his his um, collaborators throughout. But even better, though, is that almost exclusively what you see uh, are photos that he took, photos that were taken of him, photos of the time, and his work. And I feel like one of the most important and compelling elements of a documentary about an artist is how well we get to see that artist's work. Sure. And uh, and I think the context here is just absolutely wonderful. I love the way they do it. There's a fearlessness about it that suits the um, artist, obviously. 
And um, and the work itself is just so stunning. And that is director. That's from director Chris McKim, and it's worth looking up. And you can find this. It's out on a lot of virtual cinemas. Exactly. And so the best place for you to find it is at gatewayfilmcenter.org, and that's where you can find it in their virtual screening room. Yeah, it's called Voynerovich. Let's go to Shutter next. When a possessed pair of jeans, I'm in, begins to kill the staff of a trendy clothing store, it is up to Livy, an idealistic young sales clerk, to stop its bloody rampage. It slacks. Hi there. And you are? Libby. You are here for the new collection turnaround. This is such an important night for us. A lot of people have been very keen to get their eyes on it. Jeans that automatically adapt to your body size. The Super Shapers! Long price to pay for an awesome ass. Yeah, slacks with two X's. These pants are pissed. <laughs> You know, there's something that I really love about the absurdism of horror films that are built around inanimate objects that, that come to life and kill you. And that's what Slacks is. So in Fabric, for example, in Fabric might be my all-time favorite. It was great. I, I also love, you know, Rubber, for example, oh, right? Which is the same, rubber. you know, there's um, there's also Killer Condom. They come to life and kill you in this movie. <laughs> and it is a favorite of mine. And so Slacks fits into that subgenre really, really well. It's absurdist comedic horror, and the structure of it is incredibly standard, but I think that that they get past that because really the star of the show are the genes <laughs> and, and, and how well the film animates these denim killers, and they, they do a nice job of it. It's very funny. It's very clever. The uh, co-writer and director is Elza Kephart. I think that she's worked in trendy clothiers before you know that's where this is set sort yeah, of a gap yeah. right uh and you know the, the kind of places that say you know how is your ecosystem well my ecosystem is behind so i'm going to need the first hire today you know what i mean it's just pretentious and ridiculous and the thing about these jeans is that everybody wants them because they form fit to you They'll be your perfect pair of jeans no matter what size you are. Yes, they do. They point that out. It, it will make you look perfect no matter what your size, five pounds underweight or five pounds overweight. Or they might strangle you. <laughs> That's right. Or just bite you in two. <laughs> um, I mean, it's it's very fun. I, uh, in the end, the filmmaker tries to sort of explain the curse, right? They explain th what it is that caused these genes to behave in this way. And there's a tonal shift there that the film can't quite figure out what to do with. And that does... It limits its overall potential because they, they try too hard to give you a compelling backstory, and it simply doesn't fit with the film that they've created. But on the whole, it's really quite fun. Yeah, fun to be had with slacks, and you can find it on Shudder. Let's stay with Shudder for the story of a couple going on a trip to find their way back to each other when a sideshow artist and his shady entourage emerge from the woods, terrorizing them, luring them deeper into a maelstrom of psychological terror and humiliating slapstick. This is Coco D. Coco Da. <laughs> Maelstrom. It's a great word. It's a great word. And this has actually been on our radar for a while. Uh, it, it's nice that, because we got to see it a while ago, it's nice that it's coming to Shudder. Yeah, I agree. Because, because uh, you know, the people who subscribe to Shudder are going to dig this movie. It's so clever. It's so unnerving. And Matt Wiener actually was the one who wrote this review for us. Uh, yeah, and you can find it at madwolf.com. And it was perfect for people like Hope who hate the woods. <laughs> 
<laughs> I do have a pathological terror of the woods. And I can't say that this particular nightmare was one that I ever would have thought to myself. But but now that I've seen it, clearly I'm expecting it to happen. Yeah, big recommendation for Coco D. Coco Da, a Swedish import we liked a lot. You can find it on Shutter. So if you have Shutter, obviously it's free. But if you don't, you can find it on Prime Video. And it's a bargain rental and worth it. And one more documentary centered in 1970s New York, when photographer Martha Cooper captured some of the first images of graffiti at a time when the city had declared war on it. Decades later, Cooper has become influential in the global movement of street artists. This is Martha, a picture story. Marty has her own unique perspective on things. It wasn't always easy for her to get the attention that she deserved. I was the first female photographer at the New York Post. My assignment was look for cleavage. likes travel, adventure, and a little bit of danger. Are they going to put me in jail for this? Of course they will. Marty Cooper's camera captured the corners of life, which are often forgotten about. People have come up to me and said, you changed my life. All I can say to them as well, you changed my life. This is actually the first review that uh, Phil Garrett ever wrote for us at MadWolf.com. He's kind of just joined the Mad Wolf pack. Five stars. So he right starts off strong. Out of the gate. Right out of the gate. Yeah. Luck of the draw. He got a great <laughs> documentary. And it's funny because it's funny to have two such strong documentaries, both about New York artists. Right. Uh, at the same time, but but wow, you could not go wrong with either one. Exactly, and you can find Phil's full review at MadWolf.com, and you can find Martha a picture story streaming starting this weekend. Okay, time to head to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Back in the lobby, talking to Daniel Baldwin, a.k.a. the Schlocketeer. Always gets us up to date on the latest studio movie news and release calendar. What are you looking at? Well, Vertical Entertainment will be releasing their thriller Every Breath You Take in theaters and on VOD on April 2nd. That one stars Casey Affleck, Sam Claflin, and Michelle Monaghan. Netflix will premiere their Idris Elba drama Concrete Cowboy on April 2nd. On April 30th, Neon will be releasing Ben Wheatley's new horror film In the Earth in the theaters. <laughs> A24's thriller False Positive will arrive on Hulu come June 25th. That one stars Alana Glazer, Justin Theroux, and Pierce Brosnan. And then on the bad news front at least potentially, Disney CEO Bob Chapek stated earlier this week that the decision about whether or not they're putting out Black Widow on May 7th has not yet been made, and it might actually not be made until the last minute. Hmm. There's some rumblings that they might kind of go day and date like they did with Freya and the Last Dragon and put it in theaters and on Disney Plus for a premium hmm. fee, but nothing is official yet. And then, as expected, Disney, or not Disney, Sony has postponed Venom Let There Be Carnage from its June date. It'll now open on September 17th, so definitely running away from Fast and Furious. Well, I've, I've got to tell my quick Venom story that I told Hope the other day. I was walking into an auto parts store the other day that happens to be right beside a gym, and there was a, <laughs> ca there was a car parked outside, and it had a big mural of Venom on each side. And let me tell you, it looked lame. So as, <laughs> as I was looking at it, giving it a, a, a face, this big guy walked out of the gym, and it's his car. And so I looked at him and gave him the thumbs up and a smile. <laughs> <laughs> Looks great, it, Tom Hardy? <laughs> uh, Universal's putting out Kenneth Branagh's 1960s coming-of-age drama, Belfast, on November 12th. And then Blumhouse 
because they're not content enough to make as many, as many movies as they already are. <laughs> They've announced that they cut a deal with Lionsgate's movie channel label Epic. They're going to start making eight exclusive horror films for the service, potentially on an annual basis. And the first one will hit this December. So basically between this deal, the Into the Dark films on Hulu, and their Welcome to the Blumhouse ones on Amazon, they're looking at pumping out about 28 movies a year, and that's not counting any of the theatrical stuff they make for Universal or anyone else. I'm not exactly sure when those are coming out, but there'll be another four of them later this year. Okay, I think you buried the lead. I, I heard something about a possible uh, face-off sequel. Yes, okay. <laughs> this is one of these uh, the fun Internet things where the studio announced that Adam Wingard is developing a new face-off movie. Everyone automatically assumed that it would be a remake, but apparently that's not the case. No. Uh, according to him, it is set within the world of Face-Off, and that it is technically a sequel, and supposedly the script is being written to include both John Travolta and Nicolas Cage. It has characters. to. It has to. <laughs> okay, well, first of all, they're both going to take it because nobody makes more movies than, than Nicolas Cage and John Travolta. I mean, they, they clearly make every film that comes to them. Um, and the only person who makes as many of those bad movies is Bruce Willis. So they should work him into this somehow. <laughs> but here's the thing. is I'm, I'm worried they're just going to be side characters when they should absolutely be the leads again. Got to be. Nobody can ham it up like those two. That's what made that film so great. It's so outlandish. It's just the two of those going at each other. It was, oh, you got to have them back or I'm not interested. <laughs> I agree. Uh, uh, two thoughts on that. One, apparently, <laughs> Wingard stated earlier this week that Cage and Travolta have tentatively agreed to star in the film pending their script approval. <laughs> which is, if, it, if it fits their standards? <laughs> <laughs> right. It just sounds like them saying, well, we're going to do this anyway, but uh, let, let's pretend that we might not so that we might get a little bit more money. <laughs> My other wish list for that movie is they find a way to work Jason Statham in because after his face-off machine thing in Spy, oh, I want to yeah. see those worlds come together. <laughs> maybe we're lucky, and it, I'm, I'm not sure which studio is behind it, but maybe we're lucky and it will be targeted as a streaming service exclusive and we can actually get Cage and Travolta in the lead. Heck yeah. Fingers crossed. <laughs> oh, we can dream. <laughs> Daniel Baldwin, you can find him at the Schlocketeer. Thanks again. Oh, thanks for having me. Looking ahead to next week, got another big release right at the top. Godzilla versus King Kong. And nobody. Nobody. Okay. Also, The Vault. Making monsters. And a movie about Hope and all her high school friends, shoplifters <laughs> of the world. You don't even know how true that is. <laughs> Enhanced. <laughs> Boys versus Girls. Doors, which is not about the band. And Donnie's Bar Mitzvah. So a lot going on next week, and of course we'll have another visit from the Schlocketeer. Until then, let us know what you thought about anything this week. Boy, if you got thoughts on Justice League, Snyder Cut, love to hear them. Or, you know, uh, as, as according to Twitter, I think they do. Do you think? I think they might. Is there a hashtag about it? <laughs> <laughs> we love to keep the conversation going on Twitter. You can find us at Mad Wolf or on Facebook and Instagram. It's Mad Wolf Columbus. And, of course, the main website with all of our written reviews from everybody in the pack and our other horror movie-only podcast called Fright Club. You can always find that at MadWolf.com. So until next week, stay well, get that vaccine. She's Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but... I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs>